0: Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Bread for the
1: Broken. And this is signifying repentance, like real repentance, not like I got these fake tears because I got busted, kind of repentance, quote unquote. Now, this is like true repentance. This is brokenness. This is brokenness, and you want to turn to him. Fasting, weeping, mourning, don't tear your clothing in, in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for He is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love.
0: That feeling of getting caught when you've done something wrong is awful. Today, Pastor James shares about what God wants from our hearts when we repent. God wants us to not have a fake heart of repentance, but a heart that truly wants forgiveness and freedom in Him. When you repent, you're allowing God to do what only He can. It's because of Jesus that we can go to God knowing that He forgives us wholly. God doesn't hold any wrongs against us. When you trust Him, God promises to forgive. How awesome is that? Now here's Pastor James in the book of Joel, chapter 1, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
1: Hear them coming from miles away. This is what Joel is is describing here. He says you can hear them, the noise they make, like a rumbling of chariots or a rumbling of Harley Davison's, right? Uh, Like the roar of a fire or roar of fire sweeping across the field of stubble, or like mighty army, a mighty army moving into battle. So this is the, the description of this invading army, but it's not an army of locusts. Nor is it an army of bikers; <laughs> those are nice guys. We love those guys. Um, this is a, this is an army of nations, uh, a very powerful army of nations that it's going to be sweeping into Israel from the north. Now, what's fascinating about this is you have a reference found in Ezekiel chapter thirty-eight, uh, and I'm going to read that to you guys real fast. Ezekiel thirty-eight fifteen says, "You will come from your homeland in the distant north." with your vast cavalry and your mighty army. And you will attack my people Israel. This is a prophecy from God through the prophet Ezekiel concerning end-time stuff, right? You'll attack my people Israel, covering their land, what? Like a cloud. We just saw that description in Joel. At that time in the distant future, I will bring you against my land as everyone watches, and my holiness will be displayed by what happens to you, Gog then all the nations will know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel 38 is an amazing uh, chapter in and of itself. Speaking of these these future prophecy type events, we know, um, at least most scholars would agree, uh, not that I am one of those, but within Ezekiel chapter 38, Gog and Magog, we know that that is a reference towards like Russia and Russia making their move from the northern area down into Israel. And, and here's this northern this army from the north that's going to be invading. And Joel kind of echoes exactly what, what Ezekiel chapter 38 is referencing there in the description of this army. Verse 6, it says, fear grips, grips all the people. Every face grows pale with terror. The attackers march like warriors and scale city walls like soldiers. Straightforward, they march, never breaking rank. Well-organized, well-organized army. They never jostle each other. Each moves in exactly the right position. They break through defenses without missing a step. They swarm over the city, run along its walls, and enter all the houses climbing like thieves through the windows. The earth quakes as they advance. This is speaking of a, a, just a vast army. The heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars no longer shine. So you, you can imagine if you were in the midst of a locust invasion, and there are so many of them that they would, I mean, just everywhere, surrounding you at all times, they would, they would black out the sun. And in the nighttime, the, the moon would not be visible at all. You wouldn't see any stars either because they are all-encompassing. I mean, just everywhere. This is what this army... This uh, army of probably more than just one nation, but this army will be like invading in Israel. They will have this feeling of like we're completely surrounded. The Lord, here's a fascinating thing. The Lord is at the head of the column. He leads them with a shout in his mighty his mighty army. And they follow his orders. Here it is again. The day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can possibly survive now, this is the Lord allowing this army to, to play this out, to do this. We just saw that in Ezekiel, where he says that I will bring you against my land. My holiness will be on display by what happens to you. So this is the Lord is in full control over all of this stuff. Day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can possibly survive? And here's a, the, this next little just beautiful part here, this humiliation that this speaks of. Verse 12, that is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. So even, this is applicable to, to you and I even to this day, right? I don't, we don't, I don't think we have any fears of any invading armies. This invitation has been made to you even within this moment, Turn to me now while there is time. And while there is time is a reference to the fact that eventually there won't be time to turn to him. And he says, this is the day. This is your day of salvation, right? Turn to the Lord today. Turn to him today. You're not promised tomorrow. None of us are promised tomorrow. None of us even know when the end of this is even going to go down. And the Lord says... Turn to me today while there's, still, while there's still time. He goes on to say, give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning, right? And this is signifying repentance, like real repentance, not like I got these fake tears because I got busted kind of repentance, quote unquote. Now, this is like true repentance. This is brokenness. This is brokenness, and you want to turn to him. Fasting, weeping, mourning. Don't tear your clothing in, gr- in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He, he is eager to relent and not punish. This is who God truly is, right? I mean, our, our world does a, a really good job of portraying God as this He's either distant and wants nothing to do with you. Or he is always angry and just looking for a reason to squash you, but that's not who God is. Look at look at this 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 invitation that he extends to his people specifically during this day, but also applies to us. He says, "Come to me while there's time. Turn to me while there's time. Give me your hearts. Don't don't put on outward shows of like you know like uh, the the priest in the day would would oftentimes." Tear their clothing as an outward display of like you know grief, but God's saying He's like, don't I don't want you putting on a show. I don't need the show. I don't need you to try to fool me by an outward display. Right? They would sometimes they would even just do that to try to uh, impress other people. Right? We even see that within when Jesus through the gospel, some of the religious leaders tore their clothing because they were accusing Jesus of blasphemy. Most of that is just show most of it some of it could be real but the lord is telling us he was telling them he's telling us as well he's like look i don't i don't want the i don't want the phoniness give me your hearts i don't care about you putting on some sort of outward display it just goes along with even how we worship god a lot of people put emphasis on outward displays of worship if you're a hand raiser when you worship that's great as long as that's for the lord and not for the sake of trying to impress or communicate to other people, I'm really spiritual, right? That's nonsense, okay? Because the Lord doesn't care about if your hands are raised, if your heart is not His. He wants your heart. If your hands are raised because, I mean, that's just a, an outward expression of what's happening internally with, between your heart and the Lord, raise your hands, raise your hands. But we do this all the time. People want to be dancing around and doing this and that, and these are and and they're not all bad. But oftentimes, because of our tendencies as human beings, is to want attention for ourselves, we'll put on these outward displays of worship or repentance when actually nothing of nothing that is true to that is happening inside of our hearts. I'm not opposed to dancing. I'm not opposed to whatever you know, how you worship the Lord. Well, that's between you and him. Just don't make a show of it. And that's what the Lord's saying. He's like, don't tear your garments. Tear your heart. Tear your hearts instead, but return to the Lord. He's merciful. He's compassionate. They were the ones being unfaithful. They were the ones being rebellious. And God's like, you can come back to me. And his door is always open, so to speak. It says he's, he's slow to get angry. He's filled with un. Failing love. His love will never fail you. And he is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Verse 14, perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of a curse. Well, how nice would that be? Right? They've, they've turned their backs on him. They've, they are the reason for the desolation of their land. And, and here, Joel is, is writing this, this letter Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's saying, who knows? Perhaps he'll send you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you'll be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Call all the people together for a solemn meeting. So this is now like a nationwide kind of like, we need to fast. We need to get our hearts right before the Lord. Gather all the people, the elders, the children, even the babies. From the oldest to the youngest, call the bridegroom in his quarters and the the bride from her private room, those who are about to get married. He's like, you push pause on that. We need to get our eyes back on Jesus. We need to get our eyes back on the Lord. Let the priests who minister in the Lord's presence stand and weep between the entry room of the temple and the altar. Let them pray, spare your people, Lord. Don't let your special possession become an object of mockery. Don't let them become a joke for unbelieving foreigners who say, has the God of Israel left them? They, they need restoration. But they had to get to this place of humiliation, really understanding where they're at so that they could turn to God. And then he is more than willing to restore them. He's more than willing to restore you and I regardless of where we're at. If we can just stop, assess where we're at with him, own up to what we need to own up to, and turn back to him. Verse 18, 18 through 27 speaks of this restoration. Then the Lord will pity his people and and jealously guard the honor of his land. The Lord will reply, look, I'm sending you grain and new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. I will drive away these armies from the north. I will send them into the parched wastelands. Those in the front will be driven into the Dead Sea, and those at the rear will be driven into the Mediterranean." right? So you've got the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. The stench of the rotting bodies will rise over the land. And that's where we kind of get that, um, that reminder as Joel is writing this that there may be heaps or piles of dead locusts. And that stench may just be another thing of like, And can you imagine how bad it's going to be in the future when it's not locusts, but it's bodies? Surely the Lord will, has done great things, has done great things. Verse 21, don't be afraid, O land. Be glad now and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, you animals of the field, for the wilderness pastures will soon be green. The trees will again be filled with fruit. The fig trees, the grapevines, will be loaded down once more. Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord your God. For the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. Once more, the autumn rains will come as well as the rains of the spring. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil, right? So there's gonna be a revival, so to speak, in, within the land and not a revival of souls, but uh, the, the trees are gonna come back to life. The pastures will come back to, to life. They'll, they'll be green again. And, and we, what we need to understand is this is kind of an element of, of faith that the people have to have. Because where they're standing right now, when this letter was written, everything was decimated. But the Lord's like, you turn back to me, and everything will come back to life. Verse 25, the Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts, the hopping locusts, the stripping locust, and the cutting locusts. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. Once again, you will have all the food you want, and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. Then you will know that I am among my people Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. Never again will my people be disgraced. So what he's promising to his people is 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 a bumper crop, like in abundance, of what they had even before the locusts. And that's how good he is. And he's not going to do this because they deserve it, right? But that everyone would know that he is Lord. Okay, They don't deserve this. But he does it to display his glory and the fact that he alone is God. Now we get into some future events, uh, verse 28, through the rest of chapter 3. And we'll cover this real quick. 28 through 32 is referenced in Acts chapter 2 by Peter right after the Holy Spirit falls on everybody and they're speaking in tongues and all this crazy stuff's going on. And uh, Peter stands to address the crowd and he references this passage of scripture in his teaching. Now, he, if you go to Acts chapter 2, you'll see that he doesn't say that that this prophecy has been fulfilled, right? He's just referencing Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, as this has begun, right? It's been initiated, so to speak. So Joel chapter 2, and the reason why we know this, we'll we'll read through this, but on that uh, that day in Acts chapter 2, yeah, some of this stuff did happen, but there's some other elements within this prophecy that that didn't happen, which means that they will, they will happen in the end times. But it started in Acts chapter 2 and then it also in Acts chapter 10, because Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit poured out onto the Jews. Acts chapter 10, I believe I have the reference right, the Holy Spirit uh, pours out on the Gentiles, right? And so these things are, are put into motion. But 28 says, then after doing all those things, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit, even on uh, servants, men and women alike. I will cause wonders in the, heavens, in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will, be, will turn to blood red before the great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. There's our reference again, right? But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So for some on Mount Zion in Jerusalem will escape, just as the Lord has said, these will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. Again, this is initiated in the book of Acts. Chapter 3, at the time of those events, says the Lord, when I restore the prosperity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather the armies of the world into the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which is a valley that does not exist, um, that namesake anyways, Uh, This is where we believe it's the plain of Megiddo, where the Battle of Armageddon will take place. There I will judge them for harming my people, my special possession, for scattering my people among the nations, and for dividing up my land. They threw dice to decide which of my people would be their slaves. They traded boys to obtain prostitutes. They sold girls for enough wine to get drunk. What do you have against me, Tyre and Sidon, and you cities of Philistia? Are you trying to take revenge on me? If you are, then watch out. I will strike swiftly and pay you back for everything you have done. You have taken my silver and gold and all my precious treasures. You have carried them off to your pagan temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks so they could take them far from their homeland. But I will bring them back from all the places to which you sold them, and I will pay you back for everything you have done. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the people of Arabia." a nation far away. I, the Lord, have spoken. So there, had, there was a dispersion of the Jews all throughout the world and all this good stuff. And the Lord just saying, look, I'm going to pay back. Everything that this world uh, has done to his people, there will be retribution for those things. Say to the nation far and wide, get ready for war. Call out your best warriors. Let all your fighting men advance for the attack. Hammer your plowshares Reach plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Train even your weaklings to be warriors. Come quickly, come quickly, all you nations everywhere, gather together in the valley. And now, O oh Lord, call out your warriors. Let the nations be called to arms. Let them march into the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I, the Lord, will sit and pronounce judgment on all of them. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread the grapes, for the winepress is full. The storage vats are overflowing with the wickedness of the people. Thousands upon thousands are waiting in the valley of decision. valley of decision is uh, a reference towards threshing or judgment. There the day of the Lord will soon arrive. The sun and moon will grow dark. The stars will no longer shine. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth will shake. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a strong fortress for the people of Israel. And then the last little bit of this, this blessings for God's people. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, live in Zion, my holy mountain. Jerusalem will be holy forever. The foreign armies will never conquer her again. In that day, the mountains will drip with sweet wine. The hills will flow with milk. Water will fill the stream beds of Judah and a fountain will burst forth from the Lord's temple. This is again all future prophetic type stuff that we haven't seen these things happen yet. Watering the arid valleys of the acacias. But Egypt will be become a wasteland and Edom will become a wilderness because they attacked the people of Judah and killed innocent people in their land. So there will be payment for their crimes, so to speak. But Judah will be filled with people forever, and Jerusalem will endure through all generations. I will pardon my people's crimes, which I have not yet pardoned. And I, the Lord, will make my home in Jerusalem with my people. And this is, again, Joel speaking to a people that just experienced locusts destroying everything, and he uses that. God himself calls Joel as his prophet to use that as a good learning a lesson for them to learn from, hey, this happened because we turned our backs on him. And oh yeah, by the way, there will be future things that happen. But if we just turn back to him, if we just turn back to him and and more specifically the people of Israel, if you just turn back to him, the Lord knows how to rescue his people. The Lord knows how to rescue his people. And so for you and I, which I'm assuming most of us, um, whether in this room or watching online, are Gentiles, uh, the Lord still knows how to rescue his people because we've been grafted in. right? If he's your Lord and Savior, uh, then you're a part of the family. And the Lord still knows how to rescue you and I. The lesson for us, I believe, is that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, pledge our allegiance to Christ alone, Stay focused on him. And if something creeps in that wants to take away your devotion towards him, then we we say no to that thing. And if you find yourself, you've been saying yes to those things for so long, well, today's the day to stop. Turn back to him while there's still time. Turn back to him while there's still time. He's merciful, he's long-suffering, he's compassionate, his love is perfect, and he's a God who loves to restore
2: hopeless, hopeless,
0: prayed for the broken yeah. Compassionate and loving are just a few descriptions of God. Did you know that in the Minor Prophets, He's also described as just? Israel and Judah thumbed their noses at God by making Him unimportant in their lives. They gave into their own desires, did what they wanted, and despaired in tough situations. All of this caused them to forget God as their protector and provider. Why is it so easy to do those things that, in the long run, aren't good for us? More than I care to admit, I see myself doing those same things, over and over. God was patient with them, and He's patient with me. But there comes a point when a reality check is needed. Jesus draws the line between white and black, wrong and right, judging actions and motives. Thankfully, He doesn't leave us in that rotten state. He offers us forgiveness and hope. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Each message professed by the prophets reveals his abundant patience, his faithfulness, and also his justice. If you missed one or more of these teachings, I encourage you to go back and listen to them again at breadforthebroken.com. Just click on the Listen tab. We'd love for you to come join us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Our prayer is that you're encouraged and rest in the confidence that Jesus will right every wrong. Be sure to tune in next time as Pastor James continues here on Bread for the Broken
2: to up you